have you ever been disappointed in God? Anybody in here ever been disappointed in God? He didn't show up the way you expected. This is it. This is all I get right here. Thank you guys for being honest. Um, it's okay to, to be honest with me. We are in church. This is a play. We don't have to lie. Um, but you know what it is, is a lot of us kind of fall into this category where we think it's not Christian, right? To to express disappointment with God because God is loving, God is good, you know, he's good all the time, he's great all the time, and and somehow um, it's an epic failure, epic sin if our expectations weren't met and we're disgruntled or disappointed or, or angry, and that's not always the case. And, and sometimes we have to realize that there's a way to navigate disappointment in our lives, especially disappointment with God that can be healthy. Disappointment and frustration are actually a part of learning the true nature of faith. Because sometimes we, we think that, here's what happens. We think we know better than God. And we seek the thing, we pray for the thing, we, we, we go after the thing that we want, absent of God's will, absence of God's blessing. And then as we start to pursue it, this is what we do. We, we ask God to co-sign on our decision, right? It's like you may be hooked up with the man, the, the cute girl from the you know, from come and go or QT and, you know, things are going a little, little sketchy and they're getting out of hand. You never prayed about the relationship to begin with and, and turns out that, that you probably need a restraining order. I'm sure that doesn't apply to any of you. Um, and you're just praying to God, God, please help me in this situation. Ah, oh, God, I didn't know she was so crazy. Um, and we ask God to, to co-sign, co-sign on our decision. And then and then when you wake up one morning and your tires are slashed and Becky's name's keyed in the side of your car, um, you're disappointed in God. God, why, why, why didn't you show up here? And why didn't you save me from, from me? You know, right? I'm, again, I, I'm probably just preaching to myself. None of you have ever found yourselves in situations like that, um, right? Um, but, but we do that. We, we make decisions and we pursue things. And, and we, again, we, we think... We think that we know what's best for our lives. And we find ourselves being disappointed in the outcomes. And disappointments, they, sometimes they come from different places, right? You could be doing all the right things. You, you could be endeavoring. You could be the best spouse ever. But maybe the person you married and you tried to do everything right just went off the rails. That happens. It does. And there's disappointment in that. If you guys have ever heard my wife's story, there, there's elements of that, that, you know, she, she tried to do everything that she could and she still found herself in a season of disappointment where she was angry and she was upset with God. And she didn't know, how did I get here? I tried to do everything right. And so sometimes that's the case and we just don't understand, but, but we live in a broken world. That's, that's the issue. There's so many moving parts, so many pieces to the puzzle that even if you do everything right, you encounter a broken, broken person. You step out into the real world and people let you down. They hurt you. Things don't go your way. Disappointments though, they come in all sizes. Anytime our hopes are not realized or our expectations or desires are not fulfilled, we feel disappointed. Disappointment can be a passing emotion. It can be a temporary loss. It may strike a powerful blow when something permanently changes in our lives. We feel let down. We feel crushed. We lose all motivation to move forward. It's back to square one. Reset, zero. 
a major disappointment can remain with us all the time, shadowing our reactions to everything. My, my own life resembles that. There, there were things that took place that, that I carried with me, and, and there were wounds in that. There were disappointments in that. I became jaded, um, and, and I carried these things with me, and they, they marked my life for so long. And so many of us do the same thing. As we navigate our lives, we pick up little wounds, little disappointments here and there, and, and we carry them with us everywhere. We all experience disappointment for different reasons. And in and of itself, this is where we miss it. In and of itself, that feeling of disappointment, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with, with feeling like you didn't get what you deserved. There's nothing wrong with, with asking God why. This is what I thought. <laughs> this is what I prayed for. God, help me to see. But, but we face these things and we stuff them inside. We bury them, and they begin to rot away at us. They begin to rob us of our lives. And so disappointment comes for many different reasons. How we handle it, though, is crucial. It's critical. And so tonight's message is titled this, Unchained from Disappointment. And we're going to continue just our series of letting things go that we pick up throughout our lives, throughout our recovery, throughout our our, our faith journey. And what I want to talk about is navigating disappointments in our lives, especially disappointments that we want to blame God for, from failed relationships to unfulfilled dreams. I know in my own life, you know, that, that I ha I've had broken relationships. I've had um, marriages that have failed, um, careers that didn't go the way that I thought they would, and, and I had to learn to navigate that. And for a season of my life, I just allowed it to be a dumpster fire and burn me and, and burn everyone around me. But we have to navigate these things in a healthy way. Life can be filled with sorrow and disappointment. And in fact, it's a guarantee. As we come into faith, sometimes we, we fall into this delusion that things will be better, um, that things will be great and perfect and good all the time. And it's even outside of the faith, I see it all the time working with people in, in addiction recovery or, or counseling as they begin to make the next right decision and then it feels like 10 things go wrong. And they're like, they want to give up and quit, right? I mean, have you ever been there where you feel like I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and now everything is so much harder than it used to be? But again, sorrow, disappointment. It's a fact of life. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. I have told you all this so you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. You will have many trials and sorrows. Jesus doesn't mince words. It's a fact of life. It's a fact of, of being a part of this broken world, right? Experiencing the things that we experience and living in the world we live in, that, that you will have many trials and sorrows. But then he says this, but take heart. Say take heart. Take heart because I've overcome the world. That, that we'll face things in life, we'll be disappointed, we'll be hurt, we'll be wounded, but take heart because Jesus provides us with the answers. Jesus has overcome the world. No one is immune to the negativity. No one's immune 
to the things that take place. And today, as we become disappointed, we set our hearts on people, on circumstances, and God wants us to set our hearts on him. That's the thing. When, if I put all of my hopes in my wife, and I love my wife, this is what I know to be true. I'm eventually going to let her down. You guys thought she was, was going to let me down. I'm going to say that. I'm going to step into that trap. I'm smarter than that. Um, I'm not sleeping on the couch tonight. Um, <laughs> but people, no matter who they are, will fail us. They will let us down. There's people in this room that, that I've hurt, that I've wounded, that I've let down, that I've disappointed. Some of you may have called me and, and you had things going on in your life and I didn't get back to you and you carry that and you begin to question God. Well, you know, this is the pastor here at the church and, and he didn't get back to me. Maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe he's indifferent. And I'm, I just want to be honest with you. You know, I'm broken. God's not, right? And, and so we allow people to let us down. We allow circumstances to let us down, things that we go through. Um, I know me, for instance, when I, when I came into ministry, um, my financial situation changed drastically. And, and I've said this before, many of you know this, I found myself in a season of life where I burned my garbage in my backyard at night when my family went to bed because I was embarrassed that I couldn't pay my, my garbage bill. I didn't want anyone to find out. But the, the $20 or whatever it was a month, I couldn't come up with it. And I, and I thought, I remember thinking in my mind, God, I'm doing what you want me to do, right? I, I quit this career. I'm pursuing you wholeheartedly. I'm serving you. I'm, I'm giving you everything. And I can't pay for trash pickup. And here I am at one o'clock in the morning, burning trash in the middle of the night like a tweaker. And I'm done with that life, God. I don't know what's going on here. You know, I mean, <laughs> and there's, there's disappointment. I was disappointed. To be honest, I was angry. I was ticked off at God. Why, God? Why did you cause me to walk away from these things? Why did you lead me to this place? I'm being faithful, and you've forsaken me. Those were the conversations. None of it was true. God was still good in the middle of my disappointment, and we, we set ourselves, we set our hearts on people and circumstances, and again, God wants us to set them on, on him. God wants us to set our hearts only on him. He wants us to trust his goodness, even in the midst of our deep, deepest disappointments. Again, it's okay. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be angry. And it's Okay. It's just not okay to let those feelings go unprocessed and rot and rot. We see it in relationships. I do a lot of marriage counseling, and, and one spouse will wound the other. Usually the man wounds the woman. No. Um, but we, then we take that offense and we bury it. And what does it do? It rots away at the relationship. Well, if, if God came not for a religion but for a relationship, and we do the same exact thing with him, we feel hurt. We feel wounded. We don't go to God with it. We bury it deep inside, and then we expect a different outcome. It rots away at the relationship. It puts distance between us and God. It impacts things. It's devastating to our life, to our faith, to our recovery. We can't allow these things, again, to go unprocessed. Like any relationship, if you don't bring your frustration and hurt into the conversation, it will leave you feeling cut off and bitter. That's true of every relationship, even your relationship with God. And again, this is what I know. Even though 
Only the Maoris were brave enough to raise their hands. We've all been disappointed in God. We've all been frustrated. We've all been angry at him. Not one of us is exempt. It's a fact of life. And we've got to take those things to him. We've got to take, we've got to take him to him and have the conversation, the honest conversation. I want us to do this tonight. I want us to open our Bibles to the Gospel of John. Um, that's in our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, and so the Gospels tell about the life and the ministry of Jesus. Um, John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Um, he was very close to Jesus, like his inner circle close. Um, and, and he's actually, he described himself, it was a little narcissist maybe, um, but it's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, and, and it was so true, but uh, he, he was the disciple of of love. And, and I love John's story. Um, the gospel of John is just incredible. If you're new to your Bible, um, you're new to the faith, I encourage you to really read through that one. It's a great place to start because um, it, it leaves out the stuff we struggle with, like all the genealogy and names and stuff like that. And it just like starts like kicking you in the teeth with like miracle after miracle. And it's like, man, Jesus is God, man. He is God in the body, all of these things. And so there's a lot of excitement in it. It really draws you in, keeps your attention. So it's a great place to start to get a picture of who Jesus is. But we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 11, and we're going to look at one of Jesus's greatest miracles. We looked at it several weeks back, um, and I really can't even remember what I preached on. I have this blank, but um, I do remember my sister bagging on me um, to no end because I could not pronounce Lazarus. Right? Did I get it? Did I get it? Yes! Yes! Yeah. Never say I don't learn. Never say I don't learn. Uh, just know this, just know this. Here in a little bit, I'm going to say the name again, and I'm going to fail. Um, but that's okay, because we're not done. Um, but we are going to look at, um, <laughs> we're going to look at this. And so starting in John 11, 1 through 3, it says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany. I, don't, I can't even explain what a struggle that is. <sighs> like spitting words out, like stuck in my tongue. It's so difficult. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So, so the two sisters, if you guys haven't been here a while, you're like, what is wrong with this dude? You have no idea. Uh, the list is long. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend, is very sick. And so this is what we know, right? And Jesus was close to Mary and Martha, and Jesus was close to their brother, right? And even it says right here, your dear friend, say dear friend. Your dear friend is very sick. Anybody in here have a dear friend, right? Someone you're close to. Um, you know, when we have those types of friendships, we don't hesitate to go see them. Um, I, I have a friend that I've had for many, many years um, since um, before I was a teenager. He, he's my brother. We're, we're incredibly close. And, and I remember there was a season. He was in the military. Some things took place. Um, and we didn't think he was going to make it. Um, I was on probation here in Rogers County for some felony gun charges, you know, so the kind of thing where... I have to stay put. I have to check in. I can't go places, especially leave the state without telling the person that's in charge of me. Now, the problem was, the problem was it's late on Friday when I get the call and I can't get a hold of anybody. So um, like a law-abiding citizen, I get on a plane anyways and I leave the state um, because why? My dear friend was sick and my dear friend may not make it. 
And, and I'm going to go be with him, right? I, I don't know what's taking place. And so that, that's the kind of picture that's painted here. And so you would expect Jesus, son of God, right? His response to be, drop everything. We're going to see my boy here, right? We're going to get this done. And nothing else matters right now. But if you look here at verse 4, it says, but when Jesus heard about this, he said, Lazarus, Lazarus, you shouldn't have ever said anything. Now I'm never going to succeed. Sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although, say although. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. He didn't drop everything. He didn't run there. He, he, didn't, he didn't go to his bedside to do what Jesus can do, which is heal the sick, right? Minister to the lame. They've seen it. His disciples have seen it. Jesus knows he can do it, but he stays where he is for two days. Finally, say finally. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So we've got dear friend, very sick. He's dying. He may not make it. Jesus is like, well, let's take a couple days. Let's see how this turns out, right? So even though Jesus knows the outcome and the ending, as he does in all of our lives, how many of us have been in these situations where, where we want a response from Jesus immediately, right? We want God to show up in an instant and we pray and we go to his feet and say, God, your dear friend Aaron is messed up and broken and doesn't know what to do. And he's in this mess. And, and I want to know why am I burning garbage in my backyard? Why does my marriage, you know, not doing the way that it should right now? Why are my children terrible? Why do I want to hit my teenagers all the time? Why is this life, God? And God's like, waiting days, weeks, months. Sometimes I feel like it's years on certain things. I mean, you know how long teenagers are teenagers? And I'm waiting for an answer from God. Like, God, when? When will you move or when will they move out? It says, your dear friend is sick. But although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And then finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Let's go back to Judea. Jumping down to verse 17, it says this. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Say four days. Like the, the thing, right, that Jesus received the message. It, essentially the prayer request, right? The big deal was done. Was done. Gone. Over. He missed it. It was game day. He didn't show up. He's been in the grave for four days. Maybe you found yourself in those situations. If you feel like your marriage is past the point of expiration, <laughs> your bank account couldn't be any more red, right? Your children couldn't be any more lost or broken. What do you do with that? Do you run back to the old life? Do you abandon faith? What do you do? He was told that he'd been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but, say but, but Mary stayed in the house. This is speculation, but I can't help but think like this is a woman scorned type of moment. 
Like she knows Jesus, son of God, right? Her dear friend has just arrived. Somebody who she recognizes again as the Messiah, the Savior. Sister goes out and she stays in. Just, just maybe reading a little too much into it, maybe not. And then it says this in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, I love this. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Ooh, snap. Who, who talks to Jesus that way? Like, Jesus, you done failed me. Like, what's going on here? Like, my brother's dead. My brother's dead. If you had been here, if you had answered my prayer, right? If you had picked up the phone, if you had moved when I asked you to move, this mountain's still here. God, what's the problem? You're the problem. That's the kind of attitude that I kind of sense here, right? If only you'd been here, my brother would still be alive. He would not have died. And when you feel let down, you need to, point number one is this, admit that you're disappointed. Honest conversations with God, believe it or not, are healthy. You are wrong to be disappointed in God, right? We are. God is good. God is good all the time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That does not mean that we can't go to him and have a conversation and, and seek right, his wisdom. Seek knowledge. Seek understanding. God, help us to see this. And so again, point number one is we need to admit that we're disappointed. It's, it's missed expectations. If we don't have the conversation, maybe we don't get the opportunity to see. And so again, when you're feeling disappointed with God, you need to admit that you're disappointed. It continues in verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 22. It says, but even now, so she said that, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And it goes on, it says, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises. And it's this conversation where she knows what she wants. She feels like Jesus missed it. She's kind of throwing out this faith. Like, I know God, you can do whatever you want. And Jesus is like, yeah, your brother's going to rise. And she's like, yeah, later on, sure. Like, you ever kind of done that? Like, you go to God, you show him your disappointment, you have the conversation, and he says, right here, this is the answer. Yeah, yeah, I know, God. And you're just not buying it, right? You're just, you're just not, you're not leaning into it. You're not feeling what, what God's communicating, what he's telling you. And, and this is this moment, and then Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And I love that Jesus lays it out. I am the resurrection and I am life, the life. He, he's saying, whatever your problem is, you've got it all wrong. I'm not it. I'm the answer. That, that, that I'm the one that's overcome the world. And, and you're missing it. But he does it in such a loving way, such a kind of way. And he does the same to us as we, as we come to him. So we lean in and we've missed it. We're disappointed. We're hurt. We're wounded. God's saying, you've got it all wrong. I'm for you. I'm for you more than you're for you. And maybe that's the problem. All right? God knows our greatest needs 
And sometimes he doesn't fulfill our greatest wants and we're let down. That God wants to give us every good and pleasing thing. And sometimes we think we want the same thing, but we're just being gluttons, being selfish. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And I want you to take that question. I want you to take that response. I want you to put it in your pocket. Because here in a little bit, we're going to talk about it again. But she replies, yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave, so hastily they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. And then in verse 32, it says this, when Mary arrived, so Martha's had the conversation, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Again, I love that. Admit your disappointment. Go to God. At his feet, they fell. In recognition and reverence of who he was for an honest conversation. God, if only you'd been here, I wouldn't be in this mess. If only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Let's look at verse 33 as we continue. It says in verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other, dis- the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Say, come and see. I love that. Don't just tell him, show him. Point number two is this. Take God to your place of pain. Take God to your place of pain. That, that as you're disappointed in him, have the conversation, God, I feel like you failed here and this is it. Lay it out. The, my finances aren't right. Like, God, I'm trying to serve you. Like, what's going on here? Again, whatever it is, you, you take him to your place of pain. They were hurt. They were wounded. They were disappointed. They were let down. Their brother had been in the grave for four days. Jesus, God in the body shows up on the scene. And they say, Lord, we feel like you failed us. Come and see where he's at, where they put him. We'll show you. We'll show you the wound. We have to have the kind of relationship with God that we do the same. But it requires that relationship, health, and our walk and our faith to a degree where we're willing to go to his feet, tell him our pain, and show him where it hurts. God, here, this is where, this is where it happened. This is what's going on. Again, point number two, take God to the place of your pain. I love this in verse 35, shortest verse in our entire Bible. It says, then Jesus wept. Not only do we place ourselves at a distance from God and not have the type of honest conversations that he's seeking, 
but we think he's indifferent to the things that we go through. Jesus didn't fail Mary and Martha. But even in that, he wasn't indifferent to her pain either. Deep anger welled up. He was deeply troubled, right, as he saw all of this. And then he wept. Jesus weeps for the things that goes on in our lives. He's not indifferent to your hurt. He's not indifferent to your struggle. Again, he may not give you the answer you want in the end, but he cares. But he cares. And so again, then Jesus wept. Again, point number two, take God to the place of your pain. Continuing in verse 36, it says, the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? That's where we go back in verse 25 through 29, where Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who believes in me um, will never die. Do you believe this? And she responded, yes, Lord. And he's saying, didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believe? Like, weren't you listening? Haven't I laid it all out before you? I've told you once, told you a thousand times. Jesus says, didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believe? So lastly, we need to realize it's not actually about us. And point number three is this, shift our perspective. When we're disappointed, we need to shift our perspective. The first part is realizing again, we're not the main character. Notice that Jesus said, didn't I tell you you'd see God's glory? Not, not our glory, not us raised up, not us lifted high. That none of this was about, even when Jesus had the conversation with his disciples, he told them before they got there, you will see great things about God. He was pointing to him the whole time. And sometimes we need to shift our perspective because we feel so let down. We feel so hurt. We make it so personal and none of it is about us. It's all about God. It's all about God. And we need to shift our perspective. Jesus asked Martha to look beyond her disappointment and be open to possibilities beyond what she could immediately see. God wants to move in your life. God wants to move in your situation. I want to warn you, it may not be what you think it's going to be. It may not look the way you want it to look. But God wants to move in you and through you. And this is the hardest part. It's the hardest part because it feels good to hold on to disappointment. And it feels good because when we're disappointed, we're the victim. Everybody likes to play the victim from time to time, right? Everybody likes the pity party, even if we're the only ones there. But we have to begin to let go 
see the bigger picture. In verse 41, it says, so they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all the people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. We have to shift our perspective. I'm not saying that, that God's going to give you everything that you want, but I know this, the very last thing that Mary and Martha thought was going to happen that day was that their brother was going to walk out of that tomb. That was the last thing on their mind. And in my life, as I leaned into the things of God, that the place that I started and the place that I am today is so much different. I, I never expected it. And if I'm being honest with you, so much of it's been way harder than I anticipated. Way harder. But it's still been good. None of it's been what I would have planned. Very little of it's been what I would have chosen. But God, in the end, still did amazing things in my life for his glory and for his good. So if you're disappointed, I want to encourage you, have the conversation with him. Be honest. Take it to his feet. Tell him what's going on. And then be open to the possibility of God moving in significant ways and realize that it's going to be his way. His way. And so point number three, again, we need to shift our perspective. I want you to do this. I want you to close your eyes. Just right where you're at. And I want you to begin to have an honest conversation with God just over the next minute. And, and I want you just to, to let him know how you feel. Let him know the places that you feel let down and disappointed. Begin that conversation tonight and begin to ask God to begin talking to you about it. Because again, when we, when we stuff it down, when we keep it from him, he never has the opportunity to reveal truth. And so again, right where you're at, just begin to tell him, God, my marriage isn't the way I thought it would be. Help me to see. Father, my children haven't turned out the way that I thought they would. Lord, what's going on? Father, I struggle financially. I've, I've tried to be so good. I, I give to the church and, and I'm faithful and all of this. Lord, what, what's taking place? Let him know your hurt. Let him know your pain. Show him. God, we come to you this evening and, and we just pray that in each of their lives, each of their situations, Father, every one of us here tonight, God, that you would begin to deal with us about our pain, our disappointment, our hurts, our wounds, any, any resentment or anger we may be holding against you, Father, help us to see, help us to shift our perspective. God, reveal your truth to us minister to each of us, Father. And I pray, Lord, as, as we're honest about these offenses that we carry against you, that you'll help us to, to let go. God, that you'll help us to deal with it 
that you'll help us to see truth. And I thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that there's so many things I asked for that you never gave me. I was so angry, so disappointed, but it was, it was very much for my good. Lord, I thank you for those unanswered prayers. I thank you for so many things, Lord, that, that I thought I needed or wanted that you kept from me because you know better. Lord, help us to, to understand those things better, to, to understand you better. Help us to walk in close relationship with you. And I thank you, Father, for every individual here and the opportunity to experience your presence tonight as we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To recap tonight, point number one is this. Admit that you're disappointed. It's not a sin to go to God and say, Lord, I feel like you've let me down. I feel like you failed me. Have an honest conversation with him. And number two, take God to the place of your pain. Walk him through it. (laughs) Show it to him. Because in that journey... He's going to reveal truth to you. He's going to show you. And number three, begin to shift your perspective. That's taking your eyes off of you and placing them on him. And our action steps. Number one, mourn, then release your disappointment to God. Mourn, then release your disappointment to God. Number two, Learn from your defeats and adjust your expectations. Number three, go deeper with God and focus on ultimate hope. That's the hope of Jesus. And number four, get moving. Don't stay isolated or wallow. Don't be a victim. Don't stay there. I know it feels good. It feels good to tell everybody how you're hurt and you can't do anything, but... Just get the heck over it. Life sucks. Let's move forward. <clears throat> Maybe a little harsh, but I mean it. <laughs> so all of this that we talk about, um, this may be a surprise to some of you because it's your first time, but this is a Christ-centered recovery program, and, and we believe that there is... Um, an ultimate hope, right? That, that no matter your situation, no matter your disappointment, your pain, no matter what you're going through, that there is a singular answer and that answer is Jesus. And so if you're in here tonight and, and you're ready for real life change, that you're ready for something different, for the greatest experience and decision that you could ever make, I wanna encourage you tonight, make tonight the greatest night and give your life to him for the very first time. This is where we realize that we can't save ourselves. We've all been in those cycles before, trying to dig ourselves out, and we can't. So realizing, just admitting, God, I can't do this alone. Believing that Jesus can overcome the sin in our lives, that he can offer forgiveness, that he can save us. And then lastly, by making him Lord of it all, right? The authority, the ultimate authority in our lives. And so if that's you tonight, you've never done that and you're ready here in just a moment, we're going to have some people down front. They would love to pray with you and for you so you can receive that gift tonight. And number two, maybe you've done that before, but you've gotten off track. You went back to, to the selfishness of your old life, to the old man, old woman, and you want to know, can I come back? I can, I, I miss it. I want to come home. Absolutely. 
it's never too late to recommit. And so if that's you tonight and you want to do that, we would love to pray with you and for you so that, that you can recommit to him tonight. And then maybe God's just been dinging, pushing. And, and just like Mary and Martha both found themselves at Jesus' feet, you know that tonight's the night that you need to find yourself there as well. And, and there's something you need to hand over. Maybe it's a wound. Maybe it's a disappointment. Maybe it's an addiction, some type of stronghold, whatever it is. If that's you tonight, we have our white chips up here and they're just a piece of plastic, but there is something significant about that act of faith. When we step out of our seats, when we come down front in front of all these people and, and knowing that if we do that, God is faithful. If we're faithful, he's faithful. And so if that's you, if you need to do that tonight, we wanna encourage you to come down front. And then, and then lastly, maybe you just need prayer. If you're in here and you just want somebody to journey with you in prayer, we wanna do that as well. So for any of those things, to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, to recommit, to pick up a white chip, or just to receive prayer, we want to just invite you to come down front with us tonight.